It's good to see you here this morning. We finished our series on on deception, truth versus error. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about something uh, different, just probably this week and next week. And I want you, if you would, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Seems like almost a Christmas scripture that we're going to read here. But I want you to read with me in Matthew one twenty one. This is the angel Gabriel speaking to Joseph, the earthly father of the Lord. Okay, Matthew one twenty one. And she, don't be afraid to take you know Mary to be your wife. And she shall bring forth a son, and that shall thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall shall save his people from their sins. And I just want you to remember that Scripture. That's going to be a theme for us this week and next week. The Bible says in, in Revelation 1.5, and it seems like we quote this Scripture a lot, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kingdom, kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now, we're going to talk today about Jesus Christ saving us from our sins. Because the, the word saved there, when, when Gabriel spoke to Joseph, right? He was a little hesitant maybe because his wife's pregnant and they hadn't come together yet. They were engaged but not married. And, and the Lord said, don't be afraid to take her for your, to be your wife. That which is conceived in her is of God. This is of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. His name's going to be called. She's going to have a son. His name's going to be called Jesus. And he's going to show, save his people from their sins. The word save there means, in the biblical sense, you look up the Greek word, save means to deliver, to protect, to heal, to make whole. To deliver, to protect, to heal, to make whole. What specifically does the Lord save us from? And the Bible says He saves us from our sin. The Bible says that, uh, that Jesus came into this world to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. And so, I want you to turn with me real quickly and, and look at John chapter 8. I'm going to read a passage here and I'm going to talk about this. John chapter 8. Here's Jesus in a... In a uh, conversation basically with the Pharisees and scribes and the Jews of his day. We'll look at John chapter 8, verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. So here Jesus is speaking the truth in love to these Hebrews. And as he spake, many believed on him. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, If that if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Don't ever forget the Lord came to make disciples, not converts. He came to make disciples, followers of Christ. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, had they had a problem with this? Because these are the ones that as He spoke, whatever He did say to them at this time, they believed. It doesn't look like they believed unto salvation because He said, if you'll continue in My Word, you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so, when then He said... They said unto him, We're Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, he shall be made free? Here's Jesus' answer. 
Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin, that's like a practice, an ongoing practice of sin, is the servant of sin. They're saying we've never been in bondage. Well, in their heritage, they had been in bondage as slaves in Egypt. Abraham's seed was in bondage uh, during, for, for over 400 years in Egypt. But even so, the Lord's saying, uh, he, I'm telling you truly, truly, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And we're just going to stop right there. Now, no man can commit sin. No man. It's not just the Hebrews, okay, of Jesus' day. No man can commit sin and not be a servant to sin. That is one of the natures of sin, okay? It has a power. It has a grasp. It has a hold that human beings cannot break free from. It is in our nature, the Bible says. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by, by uh, sin, so that sin, uh, death passed upon all men and that all have sinned. That's Romans chapter 5, I believe, verse 12. So we're sinners by nature. And then that same scripture that's passed on from Adam, he sinned and sinned. The consequences is death brought about death and death was passed upon all men, even those that didn't do the exact same sin as Adam did. And that all have sinned. So we're sinners by nature and we're sinners because we've all sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No man can commit sin and not be a servant to sin. Sin will have a hold and no man can commit sin and not face or incur the judgment of God for that sin upon their life. Nobody will escape that other than through the blood of Jesus, which we're talking about. Okay? But no man can commit sin and not be a servant to sin. And no man can commit sin and not have the judgment of sin upon their life, which is death, which we, we know and we'll talk about. Other than salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. Him alone. He alone can save and He saves men from their sin. You're going to get tired of hearing me say that, but this is the, the point of the message today that Jesus, He shall save His people from their sins. Okay? Jesus didn't... Uh, at His first coming, when He came to this earth, which we just read about His first coming in Matthew 1 and in John 8, when He came, He fulfilled all the prophecies about His first coming. Isaiah wrote prophecies about his first coming, specific, detailed prophecies about 750 years before he came. He fulfilled prophecies. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. He fulfilled uh, the scriptures. He lived a sinless life. He died as a man, still God, but a man. He lived a sinless life. He died a, a cruel death on the cross at the hands of sinful men and rose again from the dead the third day after He was buried. He didn't do all that merely to show men a better way to live. He didn't do all that merely to be a good moral teacher. And I'm saying this because you'll hear modern, I don't know if it's just modern, but you'll hear Christians and people say, you know, I respect Jesus as a moral teacher. I respect Jesus as this. Uh, he doesn't want you to respect Him so much as that as to fall on our knees and worship Him as God Almighty who died for the sins of the world. 
He wants us to know why He came. He didn't come just to show us there's a better way. Try to do better. I'll I'll show you how to love each other. And I'll be an example of that. He didn't come simply to heal sick bodies, which He did a lot of. Or to feed hungry bodies, which there were a lot of. Because those human beings that He fed and healed and cast demons out of, at some point, not too far in the future, would die and face the judgment. Because of what? Because of their sin. He came and did all those things that I mentioned, healed the bodies and lived a sinless life. But he came to do all this that men might be saved from their sin, that he might save men from their sins. And and John says at the end of his gospel, he says so many things the Lord did that if it was all written down, the, the, the world couldn't contain the books of the miracles that Jesus did. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might might have life in His name. We've written down, the Holy Ghost saw fit to write down these miracles that Jesus did. Why? That you might believe, and whoever picks it up or reads it or hears it, might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to understand it and not be confused about it that He came to save sinners. Paul says this in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying. So I'm going to perk up my ears and listen a little bit. This is a faithful saying and worthy to be accepted that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did He come? He came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. In other words, I'm the chief of all sinners and He saved me. This is why He came. This is why He offered up His life on the cross. This is why He died and rose again. This is the reason that He did this. Now you can turn if you want to to Isaiah 53. I'm going to be skipping around. We know what Isaiah 53, Pretty probably you know what this chapter talks about. This is, these are Scriptures concerning Jesus' first coming. And these are, as I said, about 750 to 800 years before Jesus came to the earth. These specific Scriptures were written. And specifically, this chapter is dealing with His death on the cross. He's led as a lamb to the slaughter and so forth. I'm going to skip around. I'm going to read verse 5, 6, and then 10 through 12. 5 and 6, 10 through 12. He was wounded. I want you to see how many times it talks about our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions. Why did He come? Why did He die? Was He just a kind person that wanted to show love? He was more than that. He was a kind person that showed love. But he had a purpose in all of it. One sole, solitary purpose in it. And he doesn't want us to miss that. He was wounded, verse 5, for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's sin. And that's a sinful nature. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, listen to this, has laid, or the Father has laid on the Son, the iniquity of us all. You just picture that. I can't really picture it so much as a picture, but all the sins of the whole world in times past and in Jesus' day and us, we that have lived since Jesus died and rose again, He has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. It was all on Him and He was on the cross. Okay? 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and it, to put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul, what, an offering for sin. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. In other words, the father will see the sacrifice of his son Jesus and accept it. The father will be satisfied with that payment for sin. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I didn't count it up. How many times it's talking about our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions and what Jesus did for that for us in, in his first coming. And so we need to, to see that. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, I'm going to read these quickly. If you're taking notes, that's where it comes from. Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, speaking of Christ the Lord, one, offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. One more before we move on. 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also had suffered for once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so, again, we're not to be confused by this. The reason that He died, the reason that He came, all the prophecies, all the fulfillment, all the prophecies, uh, the promise in the, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that the, the woman's gonna, from the seed of the woman is going to come forth the Savior, okay? He's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was going to crush the servant's head under his heel. That was speaking about Jesus because the sin, sin is the power that holds men. Sin is what separates human beings from God. Nothing else. It's not a height or depth. There's nothing that separates a man from God other than his own sin. And here's a holy God. Jesus has made that way by bearing the sins of the whole world upon Himself. And He shed His blood. And this is why he, the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is why Jesus Christ became obedient even to death, even the death on the cross. Okay? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So in true salvation, by the grace of God, uh, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all that come to Him humbly and in repentance and give their lives to the Lord, we're saved. We're saved. And we're saved from our sin. Now I want to say this. The Lord saves us. He saves lost people and saved people from many things every day. If you want to look at salvation and say not a biblical term, just salvation in the sense that uh, the Lord saved me. I was hiking in a in a, in a rocky place and the Lord saved me. I almost slipped and fell over this cliff. But I didn't. I just know it was the Lord saved me and protected me. How many times us right here in this room have you been saved from a near an accident on the interstate or someone somewhere that would have absolutely that would have been devastating? You can think of some where you, you know it was like your heart's pounding that was close. And He saves us every day. The Lord does that because He's good. The Bible says He's good and He does good. He does that for lost people that don't know Him and will never come to know Him. 
He does that for people that have come to know Jesus and trusted in Him. He saves marriages that are, are, are in shambles. And you say there's no way that can be restored. He saves the marriage. He saves um, addicts from their addictions. Some will come to know the Lord, some may not. But He does do things like this. He's able to do things like this. He saves us from, from all kinds of things. But why did He come? We've just read so many scriptures and then we stop. We could read more. He came to save us from our sin. That's why He came. The other things are just out of the kindness and goodness of God. But if you ask Him, why did He came? He, why did He come? He said the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He said that of Himself. Okay? And we know that the Bible teaches that. And I know I'm belaboring the point a little bit, but when, when somebody is truly saved, we go from being lost to saved. Jesus said, He that believes in Me uh, is passed from death to life. Won't, faith, won't see condemnation, but is passed from death to life. That's not just a physical, oh, He saved me. I almost fell into a, a pit filled with snakes or something. I almost, I almost fell off the ship in the middle of the ocean and He saved me. He that believes in Me is not going to come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. That's the salvation that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And when somebody is saved in this type of biblical salvation, what are we saved from? We're saved from, we're forgiven of our sins. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins have been washed away. Our sins are put away. Not to be remembered anymore. The power of sin, because I've talked about sin having power. There's a deceitfulness to sin. There is a like a hold, like a chain for sin, where Jesus said, whoever committed sin is a slave to sin. There is a power to sin. So it's not just the Lord saying, okay, I forgive you when you come to me, but I'm going to leave you in the same predicament where you, you're powerless against sin uh, in your own life. He breaks the power of sin. You'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He's specifically speaking about sin. Look at the passage. And so he makes the the saved person is now free from forgiven of sins. We're freed from the power of sin. We are freed from condemnation or the consequences of sin, which is eternal, which is a separation from God in hell forever and ever. And he gives us life abundant, eternal and free in place of that. The Bible says you were dead. How? In Ephesians chapter two. Speaking of believers now, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. That's how we're dead. Okay, so, but, but now He's quickened us or made us alive through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not free us to sin. He didn't free you and me and forgive us, okay? Pat us on the back and say, now you have a license. Because this is grace. I'm being facetious here, all right? This is grace. And I've forgiven all of your sin, but now you're free to go sin. Obviously, that's not what the Lord came to, to do. Uh, we're not free to sin. We're freed from sin. He didn't just uh, take the consequences away but say, keep living like you're living. He says, as He which has called you is holy, so be you holy. Right? This is the will of God, even your sanctification. He made us new in Christ. He made us new creatures. Now I want to get to switch gears a little bit. Think, thinking and keeping in mind that 
that the Lord came to save us from our sin. And he's able to do that and does that. Is it possible? Ask the whole church a question this morning. Is it possible for a believer that has been born again, forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, made new in Christ, is it possible for that believer to commit a sin in the future? Got saved yesterday, can I sin today? Everybody's nodding their head yes. We know it. How do we know it? Two ways I know it. I know it because I've sinned plenty since I've been saved. And I know it from the Word of God. Okay, so I'm going to move into this a little bit. It's possible He came to save sinners and He came to set us free from the power of sin and to deliver us, which He's done all of this in salvation. Deliver us from the eternal consequences of sin and to make us clean and give us a new heart and make us new in Christ. Is it possible for the believer true believer to sin after he's saved. A resounding yes. Okay? We can sin. Most of the New Testament, pretty much all these epistles, were written to the churches, not in order to tell them how to be saved. They were saved. They were churches that worshipped the Lord. But so much of it is dealt dealt with their sanctification, how to judge the sin within their church, how to judge their own lives, how to... uh, to, to walk in a life that pleases God and to not sin and what to do if we do sin and things like that. Now, I will say this before I move on. We ask, can, do, can a believer still sin? Yes. Does a believer have to sin? This is important. No, we don't. We have been, every believer, in other words, what Christ did for us in salvation. The Bible calls it in Hebrews so great salvation. It is great. One of the things He did for us in salvation is He broke that power. I don't have to sin. I have sinned. But I have no excuse to sin now. Whereas before, I quoted from Ephesians 2, we were by nature children of wrath. We, we almost couldn't help it. You might curb certain behaviors, but you couldn't stop sinning. And neither could I. We needed a Savior. We needed outside help. We needed an intervention from Almighty God. That's why He laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. But do we have to sin? No, we don't. Because He broke that power from sin, of sin from off of our lives. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we quote it often, for there had no temptation, this written to believers, there had no temptation taken you, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will with the temptation also make a way of what? Escape, that you may be able to bear it. So I don't care what sin I've committed since I've been saved or you've committed. We can never turn to God and say, Lord, it's your fault. You didn't give me the power to resist that. You didn't give me the ability to resist that temptation. Now, I know we would never say that, but it's, it's, it's the truth. We don't have to sin after we, we save, but we do. And God made a provision for that. So I want to ask you this. What does the believer now do? If He came to save me from my sins, but I still can sin after I'm saved, what am I? What does the Christian now do with his sin when I commit a sin now? In other words, I'm forgiven, right? The blood of Jesus has washed my sins away. But just five minutes ago, let's say that I, I lied big time to what I thought to save my neck from something where I would been embarrassed or been got in trouble and, and I lied. What do I do with that sin or any sin they would commit? Let me ask you this. 
Is it irrelevant? Is your sin now that you're saved irrelevant? Does it just sort of go away uh, because I'm saved and, and I'm forgiven? Does, does, uh, is there anything we have to do? Does it just uh, float away? Does it go unnoticed by God because of what Jesus did on the cross? Is it okay for a believer to sin? Are, are there any con- consequences? Let's think about that. Are there any consequences for my sin now that I am saved? We just said he's passed from death to life. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. I have the gift of eternal life. I believe that. I believe those scriptures and I believe they're for the New Testament believer. But what happens to my sin now? Do I have, does a believer have to do anything or is all of that just taken care of in, quote, salvation in the day that I gave my life to the Lord? I want to give you a statement that I want to talk about. We're going to spend the rest of the sermon this morning talking about this statement, okay? In one way or another. I've heard this statement. Uh, it seems like it's almost gaining uh, popularity in certain Christian circles and, and ways of thinking. Here's the statement We know, as Christians, we know that all of our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. I hear a lot of wheels turning on your heads. They were turning my head for just a second when I heard it. We know as believers that all of our sin is forgiven. All these words are important, okay? Past, present, and future. Now I want to ask, is that true? Is that what God's Word, which is our standard, is that what His Word teaches. I'm seeing some of this, like yes and no. (laughs) You know why we do that? Because it's confusing. And God's not the author of confusion. Is all of our our sin forgiven that we've ever committed in the past that's under the blood? Yes. I have a question for whoever makes this statement. What is future sin? I don't have to sin in the future. Right? I believe God makes a way of escape for me to be able to bear it. I do not believe that this statement is true. And I want to try to use the, like always, the Word of God to, to prove that. I think it's important. I think it's very important. We know as believers that all of our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, here's what I would agree with. I would agree that all of our sin is paid for past, present, and future. All of our sin. Now, I want you to hang with me now because I've actually been praying because I was, I was a little concerned, not worried, but concerned. Lord, help me do a good job of conveying this but because it's, you can miss it. Okay? Uh, I believe, according to the Word of God, that all of the believers' sin is paid for past, which is also forgiven. Our sin is paid for and forgiven. All past sin, present, and future. All of our sins are paid for in that one work of Christ on the cross. All of our sin is atoned for past, present, and future. There needs to be no other offering for sins, past, present, or future. No other offering is required. In fact, it would be an offense to God 
if another offering for sin was made when Jesus said it's finished. He has perfected this man. It says, I read it from Hebrews, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. So I would say to this statement, I know that as a believer, all of my sin is paid for past, present, and future. Is all of my sin forgiven past, present, and future? I don't believe so, and I don't believe I know so, and I know it from the Word of God. Okay, I know it from the Word of God. When a person comes to the Lord for salvation, no matter what he or she has done, a young child that maybe hasn't had a chance to really experience a lot of sin, but they have a sin nature and they need to be saved, right? As soon as they understand. Children need to be saved too. An adult who's lived a long, hard life of sin dabbled in witchcraft and idolatry and committed all kinds of sins for a long, long time. Okay? When he comes or she comes to Christ by faith and turns their life over to the Lord, say, I accept you as my Savior. I accept what you did on Calvary as payment for my sins. And I give my life to you in exchange. Lord, I want your life. Your cleansing, your forgiveness. I want the guilt and the power of sin and the shame of sin remain from my life. The Lord forgives all that. The idolatry, the witchcraft, the fornication, everything, everything that that person ever did in a moment. A lifetime of sin is washed away in a moment of salvation. In a moment of faith and repentance and turning to God and the blood of Jesus washes it away. But what, what if... And, and that goes for somebody that doesn't even... Jesus paying the price for the sins of the world goes even for somebody that doesn't know Jesus. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, He died for lost people that don't know Him, right? He paid the price for their sins, uh, people that don't know Him, and they will die and never know Him. They'll die and go to hell, and He took their sins upon Himself. But they never came to Him by faith that they might be saved. So that's why I said picture all the sin, past, present, and future of all humanity and that one moment in time being placed on one person, the man Christ Jesus, on the cross. He bore the sins. He paid for their sins. And they never came to receive salvation and the benefit of what He did on the cross. They could have. But people die and go to hell. Their sin was paid for. But they're going to... They're gonna, they weren't forgiven of their sin. Their sin was paid for, but they never came to Him for forgiveness. They never came to Him and trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. And Jesus said, uh, unless you believe that I am He, I am that I am, you're going to perish in your sins. You're going to die in your sins if we don't believe that He is that Christ, the Savior of the world. So, He paid the price for sins for your sins and my sins as believers, and for lost men. People that, people that know God and don't know God. People that know God and those that will never come to know God. He paid the price for our sins that we haven't committed yet. But the statement, all of our, we know that all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, there's not one Scripture to back that up. There are other Scriptures that do tell a believer what we need to do when we sin. Amen. And this is what we're going to talk about. 
So when we come to the Lord by faith, He cleanses us, He forgives us, He forgives the guilt, the shame, washes us in His blood, all of our sins put away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, and I've said it before, those, never, those two never touch. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. But is all my sin forgiven past, present, and future? I'm going to give you two scriptures that you know well. You can turn there. Let's look at it. These are two main scriptures that we're going to focus on as we close. First John. Let's read verse 7 through 9. First John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light. And this, this is written. John is writing to believers, to brothers in Christ. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses, that's ongoing, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's a key scripture, verse 9. If we confess our what? Sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When? I thought they were all forgiven if I believe that statement, past, present, and future. But He says here to believers... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When? When does that happen? When does that happen? Do I say, well, that already happened when I got saved. So I committed adultery today as a believer, but that's, it's cool because that's all forgiven. That's all forgiven. I said some evil thing before my eye and watched some movie. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Truly saved, born of the Spirit of God, but I lied. I cheated on a test because I needed to get a certain grade, I thought. Uh, I set something evil before my eyes and watched it because nobody was home. It's just me and I could watch it. It's a sin. I know it's a sin, but you know what? It's okay in one sense because all my sins are already forgiven, past, present, and future. Is that what the Bible teaches? We just read a verse. If we confess our sins. That means I lied five minutes ago. You know what I have to do there? I need to go to God and say, God, I'm your child. I have the gift of eternal life. You didn't, I, didn't, I didn't become unsaved because I did this. I'm still saved. I passed from death to life, but I just sinned. It brought shame to you. It brought separation between my heart and your heart. And it's, it's not honoring to you and it's in disobedience to you. It's not the way a child of God should live. And I did it. And it was a horrible witness. God, would you forgive me? I confess that I did. You know what confess mean? It means it doesn't just mean to say it. You can beat a confession out of somebody. Okay? That's not what this is talking about. This is uh, confess means to agree with God. I did it. It's my fault. It's not the serpent's fault. It's not the woman's fault. I did it. I sinned. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Oh, but I don't need to forgive you because you're already forgiven past, present, and future. You gave your life to me 25 years ago. You're good, you're good to go. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's why when you read a statement like that or hear a statement like that, you halfway want to say amen and then you start to think about it for just a second. You say, I can say, half, I can say amen to part of that statement. Or I could reword it to where it wouldn't make sense. I believe all my sin is paid for. Past, present, and future. But if I sin today as a believer, or I sin tomorrow as a believer, there are consequences. 
There are consequences in the sense of you don't lose your salvation, all right? Consequences in the sense of I've separated between me and my God. And there's nothing I want to separate between me and the Lord. I brought shame to the Lord. He shed His blood and that I would not live that way any longer. That we should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but live unto Him who died and rose again for us. There are a lot of consequences, and I don't belittle them. They're big. When you love Jesus and know the Lord, those things are big. To have His Spirit withdrawn from us in some measure. To have the intimacy between me and my Lord broken in some, to some extent. To bring shame publicly, maybe, to, to Christ before other men. I told a dirty joke or laughed at a dirty joke in a crowd of people. And I brought shame to the Lord. Don't think that there's no consequences to that. Here's what I'm to do because we do things like this. Alright? Since we're saved, we do. We're to come to the Lord and if we confess our sin, sins, He is faithful and just at that time, as quick as we can say it, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That means they have to be forgiven that time. And if I sin again tomorrow, I'll need to be again, I won't be, need to be saved again tomorrow. I belong to Him. I have two sons, okay? If they do something that, that's disobedient to their father, or we get in an argument or something, they don't have to become my sons again. They're always my sons. Even if I didn't see them for 10 years and we had this strained relationship and they were gone, they're still my sons. They don't have to become my sons again. But if, if in order for that relationship to be made right, there has to be some, some humility and, and, and getting things right. And that relationship restored. Well, this is how that relationship is stored. First John 1 John 1.9 I don't have to be saved again if I'm saved. If I commit a sin, though, I do have to confess it. And He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, look at this in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. I said I had two more big verses. This is the second one. My little children. He's not writing to lost people telling them how to be saved. John is writing to believers. My little children, these things write unto, I unto you that you sin not. Does your Bible have a period right there? Mine does. So there's a commandment or an instruction from the Lord. My little children, believers, I'm telling you, I'm writing these things unto you that you don't sin. We could just let it rest right there, right? What is the Lord telling me? Tell me not to sin. After I've been saved, don't go sin like you did before you were saved. Okay, you're saved now. Live like a saved person. You were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians. Alright? Here, he says, My little children, these things are right, are right unto you that you sin not. There's a period. But I thank the Lord for the second half of this verse. Because He knew we would need it. Okay? He knew we would need it. And if any man sin, who? Believers. He's writing to his little children. If any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. That word means a comforter, a helper. But how is He going to help me? It's not enough that I have a helper if I don't go to Him for help. Right? It's like a lost person dying and going to hell. They had a Savior, Savior of the world, that paid for their sins and took all their sins upon Him on the cross, but they never went to Him for them personally to be saved. Now here I'm a believer. And I'm saved and all my sins washed away. But I just sinned three seconds ago. I got saved 35 years ago. You know, whatever. But I just sinned. 
five seconds ago. What happens with that sin? Does it just float away and God ignores it? No, but he does have a provision for it. Amen? He has a wonderful provision for it. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Here's a wonderful scripture. Talking about sin being forgiven past, present, and future. I don't agree with that. I believe all that, when I come to Christ, that moment, everything sin I've ever committed, even the ones I can't remember, we forget a lot more than we remember, is washed away in the blood of Jesus. Everyone. And I'm cleansed. And the power of sin is broken. And I'll pass from death to life. And, and I have the gift of eternal life. And I'm going to heaven one day when I die. But let's say I pray for salvation. And 30 minutes later, I sinned. Well, it's okay. That's all forgiven, past, present. If I sin some tomorrow, it'll be okay. Because it's all forgiven. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to understand what is the Word of God says. It, it says in Romans 3.25... It's a good scripture on this point. Romans 3.25 Speaking about Jesus Christ whom God set forth to be a propitiation. That means an atoning victim or like a payment. God set forth Christ to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission which means forgiveness of sins that are past. Sins that are past. Y'all see what I'm saying? For the forgiveness of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. But he also makes a provision for future sins of people. Certainly for a lost person. That's already been paid for. Lost people get saved today. They might have rejected Christ today, but they can accept Him. I mean, yesterday, but they can accept Him today. Right? There's future salvation, but there's also future forgiveness for believers that sin. And so in that 1 John 2 one that we read, there's two things. We're told not to sin, but we're also told that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. A helper, Jesus Christ the righteous. We're told that if we do confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's not already just put away. We know that. We know it in our conscience. We know in our heart. So, so when you hear statements, you know we did our series about eight weeks on deception and truth. Uh, when you hear statements, and when I hear statements like that from this pulpit, from Sunday school, from anything, it's not that we're, we're not skeptics. It's not that we just frown on everything that's spoken. You know, I don't believe anybody. Unless it's me, I don't believe anybody. That's not our attitude. But... We, we have to keep our spiritual antenna up. And we have to listen. And half of a statement being true doesn't mean the whole statement's true. And that's one of Satan's most clever lies. He'll put true and false together and feed it in one statement. And you go, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I believe that. You know? And you're like, yeah. He, he just said God loves me. Or whatever. Uh, and we, we believe half, we, we swallow the whole thing. And I believe all our sin is forgiven. In fact, he said, I heard the statement, we know that all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. No, I don't know that. I don't know that. Show me in the Bible that. In fact, I can see in the Bible where that's not the case. And can I tell you that, that 
Even though God saved us and set us free from sin and forgave all of our sins, it's almost too good for words. But, but the truth of the Lord and of His Word, I'm closing with this, the truth of God and His Word is actually better than the myth. The truth is better than the false. The truth is better than the perversion of the Gospel. Because He's called us to be Christ-like. Like Him. And He's made a provision even if I don't. Even if I go forward tonight and I look at some pornography. God forbid. We shouldn't do this, these things. My children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. There are consequences to that. But if we do, we have an advocate. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us those sins. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. That's important. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. You and me and with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us ongoing from sin. So I can come, I can come, I can come, I can come. Wouldn't it be far better if we, if we would heed, and I'm speaking to myself, the first part of 1 John 2, 1. Beloved, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If you do, thank God Almighty, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a helper. We have a comforter with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He says, just come and confess. Confess it to me. That it's sin. Turn from it. I'll forgive you. I'll wash, me, wash you in your blood and make you clean. But uh, to turn to the Lord, the, the truth of God and His mercy and His grace and His power to forgive is actually better than the perverted version. You know? It's just all forgiven and so no big deal. We know in our heart of hearts it's a big deal. You know when you sin. Even, you know, you, I don't live in fear of going to hell because I sinned today. Because I'm new in Christ. But I, I do not want my intimacy with the Lord to be tarnished or hindered. And my reputation for Christ, you know that's very valuable. Your testimony for Jesus. You've spoken about the Lord at work for years. You've spoken about the Lord in school and other family members that you see once a year at Christmas parties. You've spoken to them. They know where you stand in Christ. And then all of a sudden you're going to sin publicly. That's costly, isn't it? doesn't mean you're going to hell. But wow, what an opportunity you blew. And I blew. And I've done it before. And you can't get that back. You can be forgiven and cleansed and God says, I love you, you're still my child, we're cleansed. But to, to, it is costly, I guess is what I'm saying, for a believer to sin. Not heaven and hell, because I'm a believer. But a lot of other things are affected by my life and my lifestyle. I have a testimony for Christ, and so do you. And so, you can come on up. These altars are open, and as you're coming, I want to I read from Psalm 103. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And so it's because he's a forgiving God. I know it's kind of all over the place but this morning, but, but Jesus came to save sinners. 
That's why He came. Believers can still sin, but there's still a provision for sinners when they, I mean, for Christians when they sin. There's still a provision. And we do have to do something with our sin as believers. We don't ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. That's all forgiven anyway. It's not all forgiven anyway. It's paid for. It costs a lot. It costs the blood of Jesus on the cross. But He offers forgiveness now if we confess our sins. And so these altars are open. Let's come worship the Lord and, and trust God and, and call upon God and thank Him for His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. God, we come before You in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I want to thank You. Like Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Thank You that You came to save sinners, but also thank You, Lord, that You've come to, to forgive Christians. You made a way for us not to sin. We have no excuse when we do sin, but we do sometimes. And You know our frame, and You know that we're but dust, and You know our weaknesses. And You make a provision on top of salvation. You make a provision for saved people to come and be forgiven as often as we would sin. And Lord, help us not to sin often. But as often as we sin, there's still the blood of Jesus. It's still effectual. It's still faithful. There's still a merciful God there we can attain grace and mercy. The blood of Jesus still washes our sins away, God. But help us to live in such a manner that we're sinning less and less. Help us not to belittle our own sin and act like it's no big deal. Help us not to ignore it. You died for our sins, Lord Jesus. Thank you that all of our sin has been paid for in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. There's no other payment for sin that has to be made. Thank you for that, Lord. There's no other sacrifice or offering that has to be offered up for the sins of the whole world. All people that we know that are steeped in sin, bound to sin, they can come today and be forgiven. All their sins have been paid for if they would come to you and trust you as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord God. Help us not to believe perversions, God, of your gospel and of your word. Help us to hold to the truth and believe, believe it, God, by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.